In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at Asperient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cami and Sandy. Hi, this is Sandy. Today's Money Tales guest is Steve Watts. Steve was a self-proclaimed workaholic until his early 40s when he experienced a religious awakening inspired by former pro football player Rosie Greer, which led Steve to find Christ and redefine the purpose of his life. Steve no longer worked to earn money to spend on himself and began to tithe, learning that there's much to receive from giving. Hey, this is Cammie. Steve has been a full-time real estate agent for over 35 years and has a passion for creative negotiations to get the most for his clients and to make every transaction a win-win for all involved. He's an incredible and thoughtful communicator, and his clients know that Steve is there for them every step of the way. Steve is a proud husband and father who thinks money conversations should occur all the time, not just when buying your first home. Please stick around after the interview for our takeaways from the discussion. Now, on to our conversation with Steve Watts. Steve Watts, welcome to Money Tales. We're so glad you're with us. Well, thank you. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you, Cammie. To get our conversation about money started, Steve, please give us a brief overview of your life so far, focusing on two to three pivotal moments who really make you the person that you are today. Well, I'm... um... I'm later in my life here at 68, and I've had a wonderful 37-year run in the residential real estate business. And I know our main conversation today is going to be about money, and it played a pretty significant part in my life as a child growing up. And I was a late-marrying man at 42 and a father starting at 45 and second daughter at 47, and it has been... uh, Two college kids that are just about, one's graduated and the next one's on her way to graduation as a senior. And trying to say for college has been a crash course in itself. So my life has been an interesting journey of just trying to figure out how money fits into it because I grew up in a relatively modest family as a father school teacher but I lived in a very affluent community of Palos Verdes in Southern California area and not having a lot of money, but being surrounded by it left this very mixed feeling for me. So it's been a fun journey trying to understand how money plays into my life. Thank you for that overview. We can't wait to learn more. Let's focus first on your childhood. Can you say more about what that was like, Steve, growing up in a more modest home? while otherwise living in an affluent area? Yeah, money always seemed like there was never enough. It was always a conversation about 
vacations we would take. We didn't have the financial resources. As I mentioned, my father was a school teacher, so the income was modest. The area, there was quite a bit of affluence around it. So you always felt like you were without. But the flip side of it, my mother and father did a wonderful job raising three boys the best we can. I was under the assumption when I went to college, my college would be paid for. And I found out that it wasn't. So I ended up having to work full time. Took me seven years, four colleges and many jobs to pay my way through college. And I think in many respects, it taught me to really appreciate money. Which did? Not having the financial resources and having to work for it. It made me really appreciate what my efforts were to put myself through school and paint it my own way. The first car that I bought at 16 was from my father. He didn't give it to me. He sold it to me. Um, I had to buy it. I had to start doing paper routes and working as a little boy. So money played a significant role in that I didn't have enough, but it also taught me that I want to strive to create maybe a more comfortable lifestyle. I realized early on it didn't make me happy. It allowed me choices and possibly comfort, but not happiness. Wow, that's a good lesson to learn at a young age. When did money start having meaning for you? I think when I started to realize I have to work, pay for college, I had a little bit of resentment and the fact that other kids' educations were paid for. But I learned really quickly, since I'm paying for it, I'm going to work really hard to get it my education. Instead of going out, I'm going to stay home and study. Instead of going to play on a Friday night, I'm going to go wait tables. So it gave me this, maybe a a work ethic, which I've had to peel back from being a workaholic, because most of that work ethic was to make more money. So it's had a very mixed emotion for me in my life. And I've, I've tried to balance making money and not have it own me. Tell us what it was like going to college. When you got to college and you had to pay for your your education, what were your friends doing? Were they in similar situations? Were you talking about it with them? I generally didn't because I really didn't have the time. You couldn't really build the relationships. I wasn't involved in a fraternity. So my free time was either balanced with work and my education. And as I look back on it, I'm actually thankful in many respects that I was able to do it that way. Now, the flip side is I saved for my kids and I've paid their college education at Auburn. I set that money aside before I got married, thinking someday I'd get married and I'd have children because I really didn't want them to have to go through the same experience I did. So I think I vicariously have lived my college experience the last four years going to Auburn and living it through my daughters going to great football games and they're in sororities and seeing that. So it's really been a a journey of mixed blessings of what I experienced and seeing what they get to. So it taught me to save, set money aside, prepare, and I'm glad I kind of probably had that experience. Steve, when you were young, were your parents talking much about money to you? Yes, always that they didn't really have enough. That was it though. I was not schooled in finances. I was not prepared 
If you want a car, buy it. If you need to fix it, fix it. No, I wasn't. So I had to learn a lot of it. And most of my learning was through reading books. And there were some great books I, met, I read from Millionaire Next Door to Your Money Counts, Crown Financial Ministries, which is a biblical perspective on money of tithing and giving and serving and will be abundantly blessed and rewarded. So trial and error. I, I have to be honest, I did like nice things. So it drove me to work harder. So money was an interesting subject. As I look back, my mother invested in the stock market. So I think it gave me the impetus to do that as well. I'm in the real estate business. So it was maybe I should invest in some real estate. So I probably figured most of it out on trial and error and reading books. And when did you start this, this self-education process around personal finance? I, I was probably later in life, maybe 25, probably around 25. So up until that point, as you were getting yourself through school, it was just get as much money in as you could to be able to pay the bills because that college education was really important to you. Yeah, there was, um, and it's funny, it's probably one of my Achilles heel when people tell me I went to Dartmouth, Princeton, Harvard, Yale, Stanford, and I did not. I would see these individuals that had great success with these universities, and they were kind of set on a pedestal. It was my own Achilles heel to try to not feel I wasn't worthy, and I probably drove me to work harder just because I didn't have a master's or a PhD, I'm going to figure it out a different way. And money was a part of it. Money has played a great role in my life. And it's also played some insecure roles in my life that I've had to maneuver through. And I've really worked at it. Tell us more about that. Money can own you. You can become an idol. And it surely has because it creates a sense of freedom but it also can own you. You can become a workaholic. And I truly was. And I realized probably before I got married, there was a defining moment in my life in my early forties. And I came to know Christ and that completely changed my goal, my direction and my perspective. And one of the principles was you need to tithe. And I thought it was ludicrous that I'm going to work really hard and give my money away to people that aren't as fortunate. And it's only because my belief was they're either lazy or not driven. So I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to give my money up. And then when I got married, I realized there's more to life than just work and making money. And if I balance my life, well, maybe I'll find more joy, peace, and happiness. Not sure that answered your question, but no, this is, this is good. Tell us more about finding Christ and how this all came to happen, because that sounds like you made a full 180 in your life or your perspective. Yeah, I would say a 180 was great. I was doing well in the real estate business. I kept thinking another commission check, more money, maybe a different girl, different date, another night would bring me joy. And there was an ex-football player named Rosie Greer. He was a very well-renowned, fearsome foursome, played for the Los Angeles Rams, converted and became a, a strong Christian. 
And he literally led me to the Lord. And what it made me realize is the things I was chasing and pursuing, I'll never have enough. I'll never have enough money. There's always somebody that makes more than I. And if that's where my joy is going to come from, I'm probably going to end up a little empty. And it just hit me over the head. And I think at 40, 41, I came to know Christ. I met my wife at 42, and I've been amazingly married for 26 years in this journey. So that was my big life-changing, one of my major life-changing events. Extremely pivotal moment. But I'm going to pull you back to your youth and find out, were you a risk taker or were you <laughs> more of a cautious person? I was very much a risk taker in my sports activities of life that I did. And I would say because I'm a 1099 independent contractor in what I do, self-employed, have my own business underneath a Sotheby's branch and brand, you can either hit it out of the park or you can strike out. And I think I always liked that about that opportunity. I can either have my ship sail across sea or I can sink it. And that's always, that challenge has always excited me. And I've been really blessed in this career that I've had. So I would say I'm a major risk taker. <laughs> yeah. How's that played out in life? Have you, is that across all facets or just with work? My belief is if I don't try, I failed. If I try and it doesn't work, I tried and I'm okay with not. I don't ever see it as a failure. I see it as a risk that I took to possibly lead me down a path that works. If it doesn't, I'm going to back up, take a left turn, and go down another route. But boy, I personally believe that if you don't try, you failed. So I've always applied in work. Even in my investments, I've invested in a skate and surf shop years ago, and it didn't work. Back when document scanning in the escrow company business and the real estate business. My wife and I started a document scanning business. We thought it was going to be the most amazing investment and it didn't work. We lost money, but I don't feel I failed. I felt I learned a lot. The opportunities were great to build character. It also told me, stay in the lane that you know you're good at. So we did. We never complained that it was your idea and you did it. It was a great risk that we took that just didn't work out. Were you guys talking about the risk before you took the risk of those entrepreneurial investment opportunities? Yeah, I, would, I think my wife were very much on page. We also didn't bet the farm that if it didn't work, we could survive, we would be okay. And so, yes, we did. We thought that it was a critical thing that, first of all, we both had to agree to go down that path. If either one of us had any hesitation, we weren't going to do it. We thought it'd strain our marriage. And we did talk about how long and how much do we risk of mostly savings. And we kind of agreed. Maybe we went a little further in one because we kept thinking next month it'll kick. Next month it'll work. And then we finally said, we've got too many next months. Time to unload. And we backed out of it. On pulled back and we were fine and we do, went back into doing what we do and it worked out. I think I probably would have felt 
I failed if I didn't try. I think if I didn't make an effort at that, I probably feel I would have taken too easy and soft of a route. And that helped me say, am I holding on to this money way too tight? We're an economy right now. We don't know what the stock market's going to do. We're on a nine-year appreciation run for real estate. I believe we're possibly ready for a correction. I've been through two significant corrections in real estate. You know, if we're defined by our assets, look out. As a professional in the real estate business, how do you plan for the possibility of, of a change in the real estate market? What's always happened, even in the declines, as a agent representing sellers and buyers, if the value of their home drops from a million dollars to $700,000, the work may be harder, but financially, I'm still going to be compensated, but just at a smaller number. So to get through the difficult stage where the market may be slowing down, which we truly anticipated a year ago when the pandemic hit, we thought the bottom would fall out in the real estate market. And I think nationally, could be even globally, the market's done nothing but uh, increase in value. It's historical highs. There's no inventory. So the planning that we have done is we need to set aside in reserve a minimum of a year fixed expenses that if we didn't have any activity, we're able to survive. But the market has proven us wrong. The market's been incredible. And so here we are still uncertain what it's going to be with interest rates, possible inflation, the printing of money. You know, I think we're going to see a correction. As a financial planner, I love your response. So bravo for you and the reserve. Yeah, reserve's been a blessing. You talked about a gift that you received when you were a young man and you had to work your way through college because it taught you how important it was to work hard, to study, to save money. And then you put some money aside for your future unborn children. Then you have these amazing young girls. How did you, and, and you paid for their schooling, which is what a wonderful gift that is. How did you give back the gift to them to learn to be hardworking savers? Wow. Cammie, that's a great question. And I'm going to tell you what pops in my mind really quickly. It, it almost brings me to tears as I think about it because I decided with my daughters, I'm going to give them a monthly stipend. You spend it the way you want. But every month I'll send this, which when you go to college, you, you need money. And I wanted them not to work. I didn't want them to go through the process that I did, but I also didn't want them to be spoiled and take it for granted. So I said, if you run out of money by the end of the month, you're on your own till the end of the month. And sure enough, one of them went to visit a friend. It was the 10th of the month. So she still had 20 days left in the month. She went to Texas. And again, they, my daughters were at college at Auburn. And she ran out of money, got back. It was the 12th, called me and said, hey, dad, I kind of overspent visiting my high school friend and roommate who's a wonderful girl and I knew. And I said, I'm just sorry, Mariah. So what, what's up? And she said, well, I was wondering if you could send me some money to get through the next 20 days. 
And I think if I had not experienced what I did, I wouldn't have been able to say to her, you know, I love you, Mariah, but I'm not sending you a dime. You'll figure it out. You're, you got 20 days. It might be a thin month. You might not eat a lot, but I know you're going to figure it out. And she said, you're not going to send me any money. I said, the only reason I'm not is because I love you. I love you too much than to bail you out. And I have, I think, and I think if you ask them, I have a very good relationship with them. Although I guess I'm not a perfect dad. I'll hear that every now and then. But <laughs> I don't think I could have done that if I knew, hadn't experienced the difficulty of making money and knowing that she's going to take ownership to her bad investment decisions by the 12th of the month. And she's now graduated college. And she said it to me. We were out at that wedding. I don't know. The subject came up and she's got a boyfriend and we were talking. And she said, yeah, you'd never believe what my dad did to me when I was a freshman. And she told the story and she looked at me and she said, thank you. So you never know the impact it's going to have, but I'm glad I made the decision. But I don't think I could have done it had I not gone through the challenges of what I went through. Do I wish it on kids? I don't know. I, I mean, they're all different, but it worked. Oh, that is a wonderful story and the gift of failure, right? So she she failed on this one month of managing the finances and she remembers it. And I'm sure it's a really important lesson. It probably was. And to just finish on that subject, she graduated three years later, which was a year ago. And she had gone into ministry for the last year doing a leadership program. And I said, you know, Mariah, I donate and I tithe since you're going to spend a year in a leadership program. What about I just tithe to you and I keep the investment going that I've been sending you through college. I'm happy to send you that amount of money because I know that this is full time for the next year. And she said, Nope, I'm a college graduate. You made an agreement. You would stop. I'll figure it out. I got to do it on my own. And let, let me tell you as a father, that was a total gift to say, I'm done. I just hope she doesn't call me back at 28 and say, hey, you know. That's a gold medal. Yeah, it was a gold medal. It was really a gift. Steve, I'm curious. When you, when you were having the conversation with Mariah when she was a freshman and you told her you were not going to give her more money, do you remember what that felt like for you? Painful. Say more about it. Really hard because I could afford it and it was hard not to bail her out, but I just felt like I wasn't going to teach her a life lesson. And again, I grew up in a pretty affluent place that, you know, if a kid crashed a car, dad went and fixed it. And if they graduate from high school, they send them on their two week European trip. Money, and this is the downside of money, is it can make us soft, especially if it comes too easy. And you can see it in young professional athletes that get their multi-million dollar contract and they implode. And that fear of what money can do kept me from wanting to bail her out and wanting her to learn, whoa, I made these decisions on my own to spend my money by the 12th and I'm short 20 days. I wanted her to realize the importance of what hard work and money can do. The verdict's still out. I don't know where it'll go, but it was very difficult for me to not just say, 
yeah, okay, I'll give you 300 more dollars for the month. But I didn't. Thank you for sharing that. I think a lot of a lot of parents face those opportunities and challenges and I think emotions can get in the way from what they'd otherwise prefer to yeah. say or do. Steve, what's been a pivotal money decision that you've had to make? A pivotal money decision I had to make probably was when my CPA said to me, you need to incorporate. And I said, why? And he says, because I want you to create a defined pension plan for yourself. I said, why? He said, because I think you can save more money and invest it instead of paying taxes. So the decision came and I did become incorporated. And at the end of that year, he said to me, if you want to fund your defined pension, you can put this much money into it. Well, in the past, at the end of the year, if I had additional money left over, my wife and I would take a nice vacation or we'd buy ourselves something and it would be a self-serving investment. And he said to me, well, you can do that if you want, but if you put this much money in your defined pension, you'll pay this much less in your tax. Fast forward 22 years, and it was probably one of the best decisions I ever made because the defined pension and the profit sharing plan have grown significantly that I probably would have never, ever done had he not given me that advice. It's a great example, especially the freedom that someone who has, who generates self-employment income has to make really impactful money decisions. Yeah. And I'm not a major financial guy. I am quite candid. I, I, I get mortgages, I get interest rates, I get compounding interest, but I'm more of a marketer. I'm more on the sales end, but I tremendously value finance and the idea of compounding interest and slow and steady plotting leads to prosperity. And, you know, it's been a significant way for me to try to build some security financially. Are you still working with that CPA? I am. Yeah. <laughs> I told him when you quit or retire, ooh, I'm out. It's good. Sounds like, sounds like you found a good one. Yeah, I did. It's been a wonderful journey. Steve, I'm curious about your profession because you are intimately involved with other people's money decisions on a daily basis. Mm, I am. What's that like for you? Interesting. My involvement with my clients, and I try not to cross the line and get too deep into their personal finances. So I have a mortgage broker. I bring the clients in dialogue with them and I ask them to be pre-approved. I think that uh, many buyers, which is mostly where you get involved in their finances, would prefer you not to know what their tax returns were in the past two years and their finances. But I need to know, are they qualified? So I've purposely made a point of having them speak with the financial advisor or the mortgage broker to do the analysis and the evaluation on their qualifications. Can they buy a $2 million home? Do they have the tax resources to be able to do it? Can they afford it? And if the answer is yes, then I move forward. 
early on, I tried to do both and do their finances. And I just felt it got me too deep into their personal life that they didn't really want to share. And so I've respected that boundary. It's, I think, been an important part to have them have a comfort level of wanting to work with us. It also sounds like you and your wife have some really thoughtful money conversations together about your own personal situations. Have you talked about what is enough? And if so, what have those conversations been about? Well, that's a great question. What is enough? What is enough? And we have had that conversation and here more recent after 37 years of doing my career and at 68 trying to evaluate it can be an extremely addictive business in the residential real estate. You can work every day if you want. And so I am personally trying to create some, set, some sort of a succession plan. So I have a handful of agents now working with me that I'm trying to offload some of the heavy lifting to. And it's been really a fun challenge to train and teach, which is a new role for me. Cause as I said, when you're a, single independent guy, and you're now in a lead role, your, your dialogue, your leadership is a lot different than just leading me and my wife. My wife and I have talked about what is enough. What is our financial security look like? I think we all come into this world thinking we're going to have tens of millions of dollars in the resort home at Deer Valley and the yacht and take our vacation anywhere we want. And if you're driven by that, that's great. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I hit a lot of singles in my career, not a lot of grand slams. And there are certain industries that give you an opportunity, professional athletes, the financial se sector, corporate world, if you want to go the CEO route and make millions. But for me, I think part of my financial security comes from having my relationship intact with my children and my marriage. There's a lot of value for me that making more money isn't going to buy that joy and that happiness, if that makes sense. So we're trying to personally figure out right now, I have some investments. I have an apartment building, which that was an interesting journey in its own right on how we secured it. That's part of our retirement stock portfolio as part of the retirement. And we're trying to figure out how much is enough. Honestly, Cammie, I don't know the answer today, but I truly, I am working on it. I'm trying to dig into it and I'm trying to know what is that number that ultimately will be enough. Thank you. And there's, there's some elements of enough that's just, you, you're really good and passionate about what you do. And there's some great value to that and then deciding what's the balance of work and not work. Yeah. I think one of the things, Cammie, I'm trying to do right now is if I can work a little bit less, I'm going to continue to do what I do because I enjoy it. It can be very rewarding. And if I can make myself not have to be quite so attached, every vacation when my kids were little, I'd go on, I'd work because... When you're buying a house, shy of getting married or having a baby, it's one of the most uh, stressful places in one's life. So I had always responded in a quick manner. So if somebody needed us, I wish we could get away from cell phones and the computer. Life was a little freer, but it's not going to happen. So I'm trying to balance that. 
excessive work habit. And I'm, I'm getting there. I'm, I'm enjoying the process of learning. Steve, earlier in the conversation, you mentioned that you've been tithing for a very long period of time. And I'm wondering if you would share with us more about that journey and what it's done for you and how you think about it. Well, I didn't grow up with a faith and it came to me later in life. And I read a great book and I think there was a movie called Pay It Forward. And I just, I I love the principle and there's a marvelous book that I read called Go-Giver. I would recommend it to anybody. And it was really about giving before you can receive. And the principle stuck with me about there's a lot more people that have a greater need uh, from finances than I. And I sometimes feel that the Christian world's probably the biggest giver of traumatic situations, whether it's an earthquake or devastation, somehow the church and the kingdom are the first ones to show up to be able to give back to those. And I just always loved how the church gave. So I have found some philanthropic places that are dear to me. And I realize that my blessings have come from blessing others. And doesn't necessarily mean you will, but there's sort of that benefit of I'd much rather give than receive. So that probably was birthed 25 years ago. And we've tried to do that on a regular basis. Is this something that you and your wife talk about? Or have you involved your children in the conversations? Yeah, my wife is very much involved with me on that. And my children are. It's funny, both my daughters, if they have to, they'll tie $5 just to give it to a cause based on, you know, they they're in college, so they're not making a lot, but they work in the church. They work in children's ministry. And sometimes some of us are called to give financially and sometimes we're called to give of our time. So at this stage, my kids will pour back and give of their time. They'll sometimes babysit families out of the church at gratuitous because that family can't financially. So it's another way of their tithing. I, Sometimes think it the world would be a gentler place if we lived by the principles of scripture. But we don't all, and if we did, it's a pretty easy read to just that's our roadmap. And tithing's one aspect of it. Sounds like it brings you a lot of joy. Yeah, it really does. It it really does. Steve, what do you most want to do that you haven't done yet? Well, I used to want to go caribou cliff jumping, snow skiing, (laughs) but I realize that's probably not in the cards anymore. And I'm not sure there's anything that I feel like that I haven't been able to do. If I was taken out of this earth tomorrow, I would feel like I've really been blessed and fortunate. I've lived a, uh, a full life. i Probably wish I would have met my wife at a younger age and had many more years of marriage with her. But Mm. unfortunately, I was radical and wild in the world, and I'm sure she wouldn't have married me anyway. So (laughs) uh, if there was probably one thing I want to go skydive and jump out of an airplane, I just haven't done that yet. That's more on a free-spirited end. And I will do it. Wow. I will do it. Who's going with you? The 21-year-old that's a senior in college is all over wanting to do it with me. 
she'll she'll jump in a heartbeat. The other one won't. And neither will my wife. So that's who's going to go with me. But you know, come back and answer your question, Cammy. I I don't think there's any. Would I love to get a lower handicap? Yeah. If I don't get a lower handicap in golf, no big deal. Would I love to be able to walk my daughter down the aisle? Absolutely, without a doubt. But if I'm taken out sooner, I don't feel like I have any regrets that I haven't done. I've made amends with people I've hurt. I've asked for their forgiveness. And I'm not going to take anything to the grave on that I haven't feel I haven't reconciled with. So I feel really fortunate in my life that I don't have major regrets. Steve, it sounds like you're living a very good life. You're a role model to us all. Well, I'm trying, Sandy. <laughs> What's one piece of money wisdom that you'd like to share with our listeners that hasn't come up yet in our conversation with you? I would probably tell anybody and everybody, don't wait for tomorrow to start saving for the future. I mentioned it a little bit earlier, and there was that principle of slow and steady plotting. I don't care if it's $5 a monthly or weekly or 50 or 100. Start your savings young. And because of the compound interest and growth, don't wait. This is what I, you had asked earlier, since I'm in the real estate business and I deal with people and finances and money, what I am shocked, how many people will buy a $2 million home and have very little savings? How many people will buy an expensive home with a high mortgage and they haven't really started preparing for retirement or the future and they're 45 years old? and they have a small amount of money saved and two colleges, kids' colleges that they're going to have to start paying for in five years. I just know what it costs to live a comfortable lifestyle. My encouragement is start saving at a young age. Find a good investment counselor and start building that portfolio for yourself so you have financial security when you're whatever, 65, 70, or when you decide to stop working. That is good advice. All right, Steve, who is your next money conversation going to be with and what's it going to be about? It probably would be with my children and it probably would be, and they know it. I may stop working as hard as I do and I may retire and I want my kids to understand and have knowledge of what our family's financials are so that if something happened to CC and I, they weren't left blinded. I think at 23 and 21, kids should have some involvement, not on what we do with our retirement, but understand some of the assets, some of the financials, and have some voice because at the end of the day, what I didn't receive in one of my heart's desires, I do want to leave my children some inheritance. I don't want to squander it all. I personally feel there's a biblical principle about leaving inheritance to your children. And I I desire that. So I want them to sort of understand what that looks like, number one. And if something happened to us, um, what you guys need to do. That's who my next conversation (laughs) will be with. That is a really important conversation. And kudos for you, Steve for having that with your daughters and and your wife, Cece. Sounds like it's a team effort. And thank you so much 
for joining us on Money Tales and sharing such great thoughts and your background and just a lot of wisdom with us and our listeners. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Again, money can be a marvelous tool and a marvelous asset in our life. And I more than ever want to be careful. I don't let it define me or become an idol. Thank you so much, Steve. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you guys both. It's a wonderful opportunity. Hey, Cammy, tell me what's one of your favorite takeaways from this conversation we just had with Steve Watts? Oh, Sandy, one thing I appreciated, we get the opportunity to have money conversations through this podcast. And what I'm becoming more and more present to is that it comes in so many different forms and, and formats. And so when I heard Steve talking about tithing and how, how that just became so central to his family and their values and who he is, I realized that was their way of having many conversations. I think Steve is someone who is very aware of the lessons he's learned about money and certainly seems to be conscious about the lessons about money that he's trying to pass on to his children. And I love the story about his daughter in the monthly stipend and how she ran out of money by the 10th of the month. And as hard as it was for Steve as a parent, as someone with resources to be able to provide to her to help her get to the the end of the month, he said, no, he said, no. And he let her figure it out and learned her own lesson. And I thought that was amazing. And I love that they, that continue to be a money story that they tell and a money conversation that continues to come up in their lives. And you could tell that must've been the hardest no he's ever had to say. He loves her so much. It was so obvious, yet he knew that was going to be a gift. It's the hardest gift he gave. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a great learning in there for everyone who is currently a parent, and especially in today's day and age where it is common to be a helicopter parent or a snowplow parent and <laughs> you know, just trying to make life really easy on your kids. And the downside to them is not having the opportunity to learn. And mm-hmm. this sounds like it was a pretty big lesson at just the right time in life for her. Sandy, another message that I heard loud and clear from Steve that is also coming up often. And to me, that just as an an underscore of it must be really important is the power of compounding. And as Steve said, slow and steady. He wasn't in a career that was huge success fast. He's worked over 35 years for this success. And he's, he and his wife have done a really fabulous job and that's just hard work and it's slow and it's steady and he has a lot of success to show for it. Thank you for bringing this point up. I think it's also cool that Steve is aware that real estate goes in cycles and he shared some of that with us during the conversation and he and his wife are thinking about it. They're making sure that they have the appropriate cash reserves aside so that there is money to pay the bills if, if their income slows down and they can keep the money that they have invested continuing to compound, which is really smart. And of course, the advisor in me was really excited about the story Steve told 
regarding his accountant making the recommendation for a defined benefit pension plan. I love when people follow the advice of the professionals that they hire when it works out so well. And in this case, it was really a brilliant opportunity for Steve and his wife to save money on a pre-tax basis over many, many years. I really appreciated him bringing the story up because it does highlight that getting really good advice, he's a smart guy. He did a lot of this himself, but he looked to the experts to help him in areas that he, he didn't really know as well. As a result, he created something that was really powerful for him and his family. That wealth that's been created has put his kids through school and it's created an opportunity for him to achieve other dreams that he has. Yes. I want to concentrate on that defined benefit or DB pension plan for a moment because they're not that common. It used to be that when people worked for large companies, they were covered by a company pension plan and defined benefit means that the company is putting away money for the employees to achieve a certain funding goal during retirement, a certain number of dollars per year during retirement. And that contrasts with a 401k, which is a type of defined contribution plan. The 401k, the amount that the employee, and in some cases, if there's a match, the employer are contributing is defined upfront. It has nothing to do with funding a target amount in the future. And so these DB pension plans are one of my favorite planning tools for clients who have self-employment income, especially for clients who are older, who are generating self-employment income and who don't have employees. The situations that I most commonly use these is it's with clients who are, are serving on the board of a company and are getting paid for that. The DB pension plan, which allows people in that situation, especially to put a lot of money aside each year on a pre-tax basis for retirement. And the compounding can happen pretty quickly there. Sandy, is it capped? The amount that you contribute is not capped. Under a DB pension plan, Cami, employers are allowed to contribute as much money as they need in order to fund a maximum annual benefit during retirement. The actuary has to figure out, well, how old is the participant? What's their life expectancy? How much money is in the plan today? How much is it going to grow by? So there's a lot of assumptions that happen. So importantly, this is a little bit more of a complicated retirement plan and people who open up these defined benefit pension plans are best served by a third-party plan administrator who can do a lot of the heavy lifting and direct how much money they can put into the plan. It's great. I, I can see why Steve is so appreciative that he was recommended to establish and contribute to a DB pension plan. Gosh, what a wonderful conversation we have with Steve. I really appreciated it, appreciated his time. And he was so thoughtful and, and shared so much of himself with us. Kimmy, I did too. I get so excited when we have these these interviews every week because we learn so much from all of our guests and it certainly expands my understanding of our world and the role that money can play in all of our lives. And thank you, Steve, for sharing your stories with us. And thank you listeners for joining us on this journey. As always, please reach out to us at podcasts at Asperient.com. And thanks for listening. Yep. And if you like the podcast, be sure to tell all your friends too. Thanks for sharing the love. You've been listening to Money Tales, hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder. To subscribe to the show on your favorite platform or to increase your money mojo via their blog, Fathom, head on over to Asperient.com slash podcasts. Thanks. And we'll see you next time on Money Tales. Money Tales.